I hope you know why I do this, because the next few minutes, I'm going to just have a conversation with you. This is not a part of the church service. This is like a family conversation. I'm just going to speak from my mind. Just um, please don't clap if you hear something exciting, and please don't boo if you heard something really. <laughs> well, first of all, I wanted to thank Dan uh, for that announcement, and you will be getting uh, uh, a letter, rather email, right? Nowadays we call emails letters, so don't expect by mail, you know, we'll, you'll, get, you, you'll get an email. Uh, but I really want to honor, uh, do you know what he does for a living? He, <laughs> he negotiated between NASA and ISRO, which is Indian Space Research, it's the equivalent of uh, NASA uh, in India, and some other agencies like that, international agencies, and mediate and have, you know, facilitate these conversations. And, um, and I know what that entails, and I used to be in that world a little bit. Um, so, but I really appreciate people like him uh, spending that kind of time with us. But that's not what I wanted to talk about today. That, you know, th that's not the family conversation is about. Now, uh, Friday, June 24th, the Supreme Court made a, a momentous, historic decision. Uh, to overturn Roe versus Wade uh, that was after 50 years or so, uh, sent shockwaves uh, not only around the country but all over the world. Uh, and I was getting a lot of emails uh, about what do I think about it, what is, what is church's position on it, uh, why didn't anybody mention anything about it last Sunday, and all that kind of uh, emails. Uh, and I truly understand that and appreciate that. Well, first of all, I want you to know that uh, I don't want to use this. I, I've said this in no unexplicit terms when I joined uh, the church, and I, I believe this is an altar. This is not a platform. Uh, and the only thing I want to talk about is the one who, who offered himself as a sacrifice. And I would never use a, 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 a pulpit as a platform to talk about uh, political positions or social issues uh, or court decisions. But having said that, we have to talk about some of this. That's why we have something called fireside chat. Uh, and if I'm right, in the 125 years of history of Lake Avenue Church, and I am the only senior pastor who said, I will come here, I will sit with you, no scripted questions, and I can come and answer any questions. So first Wednesday of every month, First Wednesday, so this one happened to be this, July 6th, right? Yeah, July 6th, we are going to have a fireside chat, and you are welcome to come. I will tell you what I think about it. Uh, I, will, I am not afraid of speaking my mind, uh, but that's the platform for that. And also, if you come this Wednesday, there is a bonus. I have invited some great guests, because I know I don't know everything uh, about everything. So uh, there are a couple of uh, guests who will be with me. One is Jeanette uh, Kuipoff. Uh, I guess that's how I pronounce her last name. Uh, she is the director of Obria Medical Clinics. Uh, they are one of our ministry partners. They provide whole person care for pregnant women uh, from a very, very biblical perspective. Uh, it's an organization I'm very proud of. I personally support that organization. Uh, so Jeanette was kind, and she said she will come, and so 
you know, people who know. She works with doctors and medical professionals and all that. So she will be there to answer some tough questions. Not only uh, Jeanette, and we have, um, you know, a, 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 a judge couples, that, you know, the, this, uh, Leslie and Terry Green. Uh, they are both judges, husband and wife, they are both court judges. Uh, and um, I befriended them in the last couple of years, and they will be here too. And, and I, they, are they are experts in constitutions and interpreting the constitution. Uh, so they will be here uh, with, uh, with me too. So that's an expert, uh, you know, from fireside chat, it has slowly evolved into an expert panel uh, of people who, who knows about this stuff, right? But I will definitely talk about it from a theological perspective. Having said that, having said that, um, you know, I, I think it is appropriate for me to tell you what I think about abortion. I don't know anything about Roe versus, not that I don't know anything about it. Uh, I don't want to talk about court decisions, but I think uh, it is quite appropriate uh, to talk about abortion uh, as, a, uh, as an event <laughs> or a social or a theological evil, I would say. Uh, that's my perspective. So. How do I put it? What I believe is when a child is conceived in a mother's womb, we can look at it two different ways. One, from the naturalistic worldview of the scientific rationalism in which America or the Western world has already subscribed to, including churches, right? When you look at it from the naturalistic worldview, it's a clump of cells, that's what it is. And when that becomes a life or when it becomes a human is debated among medical professionals and I don't know if there is consensus, but that's, the, that's one way to look at it. That's the way the world looks at it. But when you look at it from a biblical perspective, it is very, very clear. I can give you verses and all that. This is, again, I'm, this is not my platform for that. Uh, the Bible is very, very, very clear that the moment that conception happens, and that is even that first cell is a human being in the image and likeness of God. And uh, there is no... Uh, I don't think I have seen any theologians who practically disagree with that. So th that's the concept of it. So, uh, and in the, in the biblical perspective, it is an unborn person at the moment of conception. I know science can have different opinions, but the Bible is very clear about it, and I believe that it's an unborn person. Now, as you know, the statistics, and you read about it, over 63 million unborn persons have been killed in the last 50 years or so in America. Now, I want you to know that anything that would stop, and, and, and some of them are medical inevitability, and so it's not like a blaming people for some events that happened, but anything to stop that or anything to put an end to it, I personally am happy about it but I know it comes with the legalizing morality is not, not an easy thing. That's why I'm bringing experts who know about that kind of stuff. We'll talk about that stuff, right? So I don't know about that, but we will have a conversation about it. But this is what I want you to know. If you think this is some kind of a victory for Christians, we need to think again what victory means 
Because especially if you're a Christian in California, we are going to see more abortion in California than before. So please don't trust human beings to make decisions for us. And we are happy when good decisions are made. But ultimately, the only person we can trust is God. And the responsibility for saving the unborn persons is not given to Scotus or Portus. It is given to us as a church. It is given to you and me. And rest because the courts may change their decisions. They will overturn and keep overturning the decisions depending on whatever politics happens, right? But the responsibility that is given to you and me will not change. So I believe in being proactive instead of reactive. So that is why we have tightened, actually, our formal partnership with the Aubrey Medical Clinic and the services they provide in a very positive way. And Jeanette, if you missed this Wednesday, and I'm bringing her again on a Sunday to talk more about what they do, and we as a church want to get involved by doing proactive measures, also by helping to facilitate adoption and helping fostering parents. You know, how can we go and help, you know, wrap our arms around families which foster children? Can we go and do babysitting for them? That's also a different ways of fighting this evil, what we call abortion in a way, right? So, you know, that's the duty of the church. And I'm happy about what's happening, uh, you know, in the court or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I don't trust anybody. I don't trust a court. I don't trust a president. Sorry, that's who I am. <laughs> I only trust God and the mandate which is given to the church. So instead of being reactive, I believe we should be proactive by doing positive things from our own, the mandate which God has given to us, okay? So that's all I wanted to say. More, we will talk about, more of it uh, on Wednesday. Now, let's stand for the reading of the word. Again, it's only one verse. We are in the Beatitude series. It will come up in the screen in a minute. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Yes, can we read it together? Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. You may be, this is the word of the Lord, you may be seated. <laughs> I remember going to Paris for the first time. You know, the city of love and the, the most romantic cities in the world, right? One of the, one of the most romantic cities in the world. But I was alone, <laughs> all by myself. Uh, <laughs> um, because it was a business trip. They didn't pay for Joanne. And, uh, but they put me in a star hotel in Paris and overlooking the Eiffel Tower. And I remember this was just before the, the year 2000. So I still remember Eiffel Tower had that uh, millennium countdown clock. It was so beautiful. And I, all, all I had to do was attend a conference. Uh, this is my old glory days as an engineer. Uh, I did the conference early in the, you know, during the daytime. And then I would just walk around Paris uh, you know, just walk around downtown Paris and uh, see all the places. Uh, I didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't, I didn't know how to even order food because I couldn't speak a word of French. Um, but anyway, I remember walking along and suddenly I turned the, turned the corner, entered another street, and I looked at the street name and it said, Avenue du Gandhi. 
I'm like, what? Uh, when you do Gandhi, I didn't understand anything except Gandhi. You know, I, I, at that time, you know, I, you know I'm, I was an Indian citizen, and I'm originally from India. I was holding an Indian passport at the time. Gandhi? <laughs> In Paris? <laughs> yeah, so I looked at it, and it's actually called Mahatma Gandhi Road, right? In the middle of, like, Louis Vuitton, like, you know, all those big, big shops or big, yeah, the I don't know if I said it right. I don't buy that kind of stuff. But anyway, so all this big posh uh, things <laughs> and, and, and Mahatma Gandhi Road. And I remember like your July 4th being proud uh, as an Indian uh, right in the heart of Paris. You know, Mahatma Gandhi Road. I'm standing in Mahatma Gandhi Road, right? And later I realized that there are Mahatma Gandhi roads in different parts of the world, including in America and even in London, who are supposed to be our enemies, you know, the British, uh, uh, you know, and, and, <laughs> and Mahatma Gandhi is one person responsible for kicking out the British from India, and even, even the British has a, a, you know, road in his name. And if you know Mahatma Gandhi, uh, and you all, in, in, in India, we call him half naked sage because you, you, you don't see Mahatma on this picture with a shirt on right? He, he, you know it's not because he wanted to show his abs or something like that. He has a good abs though for, for his age but <laughs> the reason is that you know I don't want to get into the story but it's, it's, a, it's a cool story actually Mahatma Gandhi on his trip to you know somewhere to speak and uh, he went to a river to draw water to drink and then he he saw a woman who was sitting there she couldn't afford to buy a blouse so she she didn't know how to cover her breast so she jumped into the water because she wanted to cover her breast uh, and and Mahatma Gandhi said unless and until every woman in India can afford to buy a blouse I will not wear a shirt and that's how he he decided not to uh, so, so that's why Mahatma Gandhi is called a half-naked sage, and he never wore shirt. Um, uh, the reason I'm saying that Mahatma Gandhi didn't own anything. He didn't have a house. He didn't have, he, he had a family, but he didn't, he didn't own any material property, even a shirt. But then, downtown Paris, in the prime real estate sport, there is a road dedicated to Mahatma Gandhi. And I was looking for the Adolf Hitler road. I was looking for the Mussolini road. Because these were the people who were holding prime real estate in Europe back in the days. Oh, you won't see any of the, <laughs> the roads with any of their name. Isn't it such an irony that it is not the mighty, but it is the meek who inherit the earth. It is not the mighty, but it is the meek that inherit the earth. That is the paradox of the Beatitudes. That's the paradox we have been seeing all along. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle, which is actually, blessed are the meek, in the good old King James Version. And whenever I used to read that, you know, blessed are the meek, and it kind of used to cringe, because meekness, is almost always interpreted as weakness, right? I don't remember really, I mean, I like meek people, <laughs> but I don't really remember really respecting a, a meek person that way, you know, because again, meekness is almost always associated with 
weakness. But if you really read, um, you know who is the meekest person in the Bible? Who? Moses? Right? <laughs> okay, I think. Yeah, that is right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll read it. You know, here is a, here is a testament. Here is a certificate written and signed by God. Numbers 12, Numbers 12, 3 reads. Now, the man Moses, oh, I, would, I wish to say it like the way you say it. Um, now, the man Moses was very humble or meek, more than any man on the face of the earth. Now, that's a testament, you know, you know, certificate coming from God. Moses was certified as the meekest person in the face of the earth. Now, if you know Moses, you'll be surprised. <laughs> this is a guy, when he was the prince of Egypt, walking around, and he saw an Egyptian basically beating up a Hebrew slave. The immediate thing this meekest person did was just killed him. Just killed him. Struck him to the extent that immediately the, guy, the man died, and then eventually he ended up a fugitive for the, you know, significant part of his life. Oh, but that was before we, he became a Christian, right? Or before the burning bush. Oh, it didn't get any better. <laughs> if you really read the Exodus and the Num Leviticus and the Numbers and the, the you know, the, the, the whole Exodus story, Moses was really mad very often when you see him. And to the extent that he was so upset when God asked him to speak to a rock so that the rock can provide water, he, instead of speaking to the rock, he went and struck the rock. And theologians say that's the reason he was not allowed to enter the promised land because he was so upset. He was so upset. Now the worst is, in the, the worst part of the, you know, his anger of this meekest person on the face of the earth is that he was called to Mount Sinai where God himself gave him the Ten Commandments, etc., etc. And God wrote on two tablets of stone and then he comes down, and this is almost hilarious when you read it. Exodus 32, 19 and 20, in my Bible, that, that portion is titled Moses' Anger, okay? It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf. You know the story, right? When Moses was in Mount Sinai, receiving the, Mount Sinai, receiving the commandment from the Lord, when God was writing all of this in the tablet, here on, in the valley, they were creating a golden calf, an idol was being created and being worshipped in the valley. Now Moses comes from his mountaintop experience to see this ultimate blasphemy. And then this happens. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and, da and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned. He was a short-tempered man. 
And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Can you imagine? If I am God, that would be the utmost offense you can commit to me. I just wrote down commandments and gave, you gave it to you. How dare you break that in your anger? Can you imagine the American president issue an executive order and give it to you and you rip it off? And then God calls him. By the way, he's the meekest man on the face of the earth. <laughs> right? Now, this is where, this is where the, you know, then, you know, it's not even done yet. Then he took the calf, the golden calf, the idol of the calf, which they had made and burnt it with fire <laughs> and grounded it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. My goodness, the guy was going berserk in anger. You know, he was not just destroying the idol, he just made them eat it, drink it. I want you to drink it. And the meekest person on the face of the earth. Now, this brings us to the question, what exactly the scripture means when it says, blessed are the meek? Does it mean that from our own perspective, being a timid, shy, uh, you know, almost naive or spineless kind of a character? That's what I often think of meek people, nice people, but very timid, you know? Is that what the scripture means? Now, I'm going to give you the actual word, which used to be translated as meek, but I'm glad that they translated now, they translated now as gentle. Gentle is at least a little, more, it's a little better, I would say. But it's very difficult to capture the essence of that word, okay? And the word which is used there, a Greek word, is called praus, okay? I hope it will come up in the screen. Oh, okay, there it is. Uh, praus. Okay, uh, one of the easiest way to understand it, when, when this word is being taught in a Greek class, a, a good analogy, a good visual picture to understand the scripture is like a, a trained war horse, a trained war horse, very strong, but it's impulse under control. And I don't know how many of you have war, war horses <laughs> in your house, but we have pets, right? Like, you know, so let, let's, let's contextualize it for our purposes. Think of a domesticated animal which, can, which is trained to obey commandment, a command from you. A domesticated animal which is trained to obey command. Now, I know this is a tricky area. I've heard there are dog people and cat people, right? You know? So, uh, <laughs> I'm neither. Uh, when I grew up in India, we didn't really, we, we all had pets, but our understanding of pets are very, very, very different from the, the Western understanding. Because everybody had uh, dogs and everybody had cats. 
All houses had dogs and cats because they are stray dogs and stray cats. They will be, you know, coming to your house to sleep and they will never enter the house. They will eat out of whatever you throw from the table. And, you know, so that, that's what we call pets, okay? Um, but I remember growing up, uh, you know, when I was a little kid, we had a red dog. Uh, again, it was a street dog. It was not a particular breed. And obviously, we didn't have any name. We never... We never called pets by name. Uh, so again, this is a cultural difference. If I'm saying something very offensive, so please forgive me. Uh, but um, so I, 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 I don't know. So let me let me give 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 it a name. I, I I'm going to call it because it was a red dog. I'm going to call it Red Bull. Red Bull. Okay. Uh, so you know, if I if I lived today, I would have called my my pet dog at the time a Red Bull. And and a Red Bull she was. It was a she. I remember that because she used to have babies every year. <laughs> uh, uh, so. Um, the problem with Red Bull was exactly, she always behaved like she, she had a couple cans of Red Bull every, time, every day, right? <laughs> and she was so aggressive, and particularly, she hated people who are in bicycles. And our house was just very close to the, the open to the street. And when people, uh, you know, drive by in bicycles, this is in the 70s and 80s, and, you know, people didn't, couldn't afford cars. So there are a lot of people in their bicycles. And the moment Red Bull sees the bicycle, she gets panicking. And she will run after the bicycle, bicyclists and bite them. Doesn't matter who it was, every bicyclist would. So I still remember we had a postman, you know, the postman always had his bicycle. When he comes there, he will, he will you know, pedal fast just before coming to our area and then put his legs on, a, on the handle, uh, you know, so that he can avoid, it's like a circus, right? Uh, you know, anyway, um, so Red Bull was a problem, you know, she, 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 she bit every single person she could see, and you know, she, she recognized the family members. Otherwise, she was kind of a mad dog. Uh, but uh, but she, she passed, um, and then my dad uh, uh, bought a dog, and this is the first time we, got, we bought a dog, and it was very new in, in the place I grew up back in the days. Um, I remember, and we named him Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy was his name, a jet black Alsatian, uh, which is a variety of, um, I think, a German Shepherd. And Jimmy was such a friendly dog, but he was also a very smart dog. And he will always, you know, I mean, as I was now, by the time I was in middle school, and, you know, I always used to play with him. He, still, he cannot enter the house, uh, uh, living outside. But, uh, you know, when people come at the door, you know, if they, he would recognize who are, the friend, who are friends, who are you know, normal visitors and who are the family members. And if strangers come at the door, like we have gate outside, and that gate, and then he started growling. And they start, they start opening, he starts barking. And if they step inside, he will go and bite them. And it's a very clear process he had, and I can see that. But if it's a friendly person, and he already recognizes, he would basically, you know, wag his tail and welcome them in, right? Uh, so that was Jimmy. And then uh, we had, uh, you know, here in, uh, you know, three or four, 
Oh my goodness, five years ago, uh, our kids wanted a dog uh, here in Alhambra. So we got a, a, a small dog. Uh, she was a mutt, a very cute puppy. And we called her Maple uh, to rem you know, in remembrance of Canada. Uh, and Maple was such a sweet dog, such a sweet dog. And she would always, you know, because she was a puppy too, right? She was very friendly with everybody, always comes and sit on your lap, uh, sit on your lap and all that. But after a while, the kids got tired of the, uh, of, of, you know, bringing up a dog and eventually ended up, the, the responsibilities ended up on us and then we decided to give, give her away because we couldn't afford to have another, you know, person in a way that need, uh, needing that attention living in our house. Anyway, the reason I'm saying is we, I have these three dogs, Red Bull, Jimmy, and Maple, okay? Now when I look at them, who is Prawus? Who is and maple would be the most gentle of all of them. The maple would be the, more, the meekest of all of them. Maple is a kind of dog uh, we all would love, love to have. But, and Red Bull is a, is a kind of dog you don't want to have. Right? You will not have friends after that. Because maple did not, uh, sorry, Red Bull did not have the discernment because she barked at everyone and she bit everyone. That's the way she did. And Maple was just the opposite. She never barked at anyone. She never bit anyone. She was a cute little puppy. But Jimmy, on the other hand, had strength. Jimmy, on the other hand, had also discernment. She knew when to bark, when to bite. She knew, so he knew how to attack the right person at the right time in the right way. Now you get the understanding of Prawus. That is exactly what Prawus, and if you don't get it, I will give you probably the best definition of this word given by none other than Aristotle. You know Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, this greatest philosophy. So he said this about the word Prawus. There is the definition. He said, now we praise a man who feels anger on the right grounds and against the right persons and also in the right manner and at the right moment and for the right length of time. He may then be called pravus if we take pravutus to be a praiseworthy quality because Aristotle was not very sure that was a good quality or not but he gave us a great definition. The reason I'm saying is this, you know, especially living in this culture, very often Christians are held to some kind of a higher standard, but also strange standard. And this I feel particularly as a pastor. And many, often people think that pastors should act like some kind of puppy dogs, right? Like, you know, you're a pastor, but you cannot say that. Everybody likes Pastor Matthew when he stands on a pulpit and cracks jokes or, you know, says something very self-deprecating. But when you have to lead, when you have to take some hard decisions, like Dan Crichton was saying today, and when you manage an organization which has $5.9 million operational budget and $20 million or whatever worth of capital assets, 
You cannot always be a puppy dog, can you? <laughs> now that's very difficult, in a, in a, in a, especially in a country like America, because the pastors are supposed to have dual role as a pastor and also kind of a CEO as the board, controlling the board and whatever, right? So it's, it's that delicate balance, and it happens to you too as Christians. How dare you? You are a Christian. I can believe that you ran a red light. You are a Christian. You're not supposed to do that. Nobody is supposed to do that, by the way. But sometimes, <laughs> you know, people held, hold us to uh, uh, strange standards in the culture be, just because we are Christians. We are Christians and we are followers of Christ and our, our Lord Jesus himself was no puppy dog. He was not maple. You know, very often Jesus gets compared to Buddha because Buddha is a very uh, gentle, very meek, very, you know, you know, Buddhism, it's all about the calmness and quietness. Very often people compare Jesus to Buddha. Oh my goodness, that's such a wrong comparison. Because Jesus was upset. Jesus was indignant many times. And you know there are different episodes. Jesus even called Herod the president of that time, a fox, in public, because they told something about, oh, you know, you, should, you have to be afraid of a road, be careful about plan this ministry. He said, go and tell the, that, that fox. That's inappropriate for a pastor to call the president fox. But Jesus did that. And then, you know, Jesus even became physically violent. He overturned the temple court, like, you know, the, the, all the business. You know the story, right? And I believe if Jesus was your pastor, many of these pews and the, the table outside will have broken legs. You would have been so mad on Sundays. <laughs> and if Moses was your pastor, you would be drinking gold dust instead of communion. Okay? <laughs> Thank God you only have me. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make is selfless anger Selfless anger is one of the great moral force in the world, a dynamic moral force in the world. When I handle people, I always like people, I'm, I'm, I'm always afraid of people who are very quiet, very soft, because I don't know what they're thinking, because they can pounce at you anytime. But I really like people who, who get upset at me. I'm, I really do, and I'm not making this up. Because I know I can trust them because they express it very clearly. Right? It's, it's okay to be angry. And I like people who express their anger to me personally. And I, I, you know, that's the way it is because we are human beings and we all have emotions. We have to have. If you have never been angry in your life, you have to go and get yourself checked up. There's something wrong with you. Right? <laughs> So the question though, this is the question though, I'm not, I'm not you know, preaching a different gospel here, but this is what I want you to know, I want you to check. I want you to think about three times you got angry in the past, I don't know, three hours because, you know. <laughs> the three times you got angry, you know, think about three times you got angry, okay? I know it will come very fast. <laughs> okay, now, I want you to think, how many of that times, and why did you get angry? Is that because of you? 
If that because somebody offended your ego, if that because somebody stood against your will or your decision, or is, was it because a righteous anger, because you were upset at the injustice, or you were upset at, the, at, at, at something that is being committed against the Lord? Now, that is the question. I'm not talking about, you know, we live in an outrage culture, so I don't want to encourage people going on social media and say that, oh, we have the righteous anger. No, but that, that comes to you for easy, though. That comes so easy. You know, it's very easy for us to go and, uh, you know, express our outrage. But what I'm saying is, what made you genuinely angry? Was that selfish anger or a selfless anger? And if it is a selfless anger, believe me, you are the pravus who is going to inherit the earth. Now, the twist of this beatitude, this is the only beatitude which gives a material reward at the end. All other beatitudes gives you the kingdom of God, Blessed are those who mourn, you will be comforted. But here, it gives us a physical reward. It says, inherit the earth. It's a real estate deal. It's a physical. If you are pravus, you are going to inherit the earth. A physical, a physical reward for your meekness or your gentleness or your pravutas. Now, the reason, and if you look at Moses, the, 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 the meekest person on earth, right? Like, you know, he is the one who did the greatest real estate in the whole history of humanity or history of the Bible, which is the promised land, right? You know, that's, Moses is the, the, the best real estate agent ever because he took us, you know, he took the Israelites into the promised land, a physical promised land. And I want you to know that God, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not offering you any, any physical reward for this, but our true reward comes, our real estate, our reality is not just the physical reality. Our reality is not the virtual reality the metaverse is creating. Our reality is the spiritual reality, which is eternal, which is eternal. And that's where the Lord is offering us a prime real estate deal. And if you are a Prahus person, there is a road named after you in the kingdom of God. When your children walk around and they look at Matthew, John, how can you do Matthew, John, in the kingdom of God? That is your reward for being meek. And there is a promised land waiting for all of you in your life. And whatever shape or whatever form it is, and I want you to step up and be the meekest person on the face of the earth and to be pravos and to be able to attack things at the right time in the right way. The right time, right at the right person too, right? And so may the Lord allow us to be pravos. Let's close our eyes. Let's say a prayer as the worship team comes up. Father God, thank you particularly for the July 4th weekend. Our country itself is going through this confusion 
There are divisions which are not actually there, but the social media has already created that divisions for us. Even the word patriot itself is being politicized and used in different ways. Lord, in this confused culture, it's very difficult to stand up as Christians and to say what you are asking us to say. Pray that we will have wisdom and discernment, but also have the righteous moral anger. Selfless anger. So that we will become pravos. We will stand for the truth no matter what. And for the biblical worldview. And what you have destined for this country and for this planet. And we will be faithful stewards of it. So that we will inherit the earth 